This episode of Emmaus Road Chronicles will explain to you how you can win your battles over evil. How to win those battles begins with an understanding of how sin first entered the world. We find it described for us in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, we find the creation of Adam and Eve, first humans. We find in Genesis chapter 2, God taking his perfect creation, Adam and Eve, and placing them into the garden in Eden. Paradise, God's heaven on earth, God's beautiful, perfect place on earth. And he placed them there with certain commands and requirements for them as participants living within his garden. He gave them commands to take care of it, to monitor it, to protect it. He also gave them a command and said, there's a tree in the middle of the garden. You cannot eat the fruit of that tree. Every other tree in the garden, you can eat the fruit of those trees. But that one in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat that fruit. Because in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. Well, the day began just as every other day in paradise. Perfect fellowship with God. They walked through the garden. They worked and toiled and tended the garden. Observed the animals and the creatures that God had created. And then they came upon the serpent. Now, the serpent was a beast of the field. But it was a different kind of a beast in this respect. It was not human. It could not speak. But it was wily, clever, subtle in all of its behavior. So it's a little different than the other beasts of the field. And as Adam and Eve went through the garden, they came upon this beast, the serpent. And this serpent spoke to Eve. Now I had just mentioned that it was not a person, not able to speak. But this serpent spoke which certainly must have startled Eve to a certain extent. And the serpent spoke to Eve and said, Did God say you can't eat of any of the trees and the fruit of the trees in the Garden of Eden? Did God actually say that to you? And Eve responded back, and we read in Genesis chapter 3, we read her response. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. God said you can eat of all of them except one. And this is what she said, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now the command of God actually did not say you can't touch it. Now that word can mean on other occasions appropriate it. In other words, take it into your hand and actually participate with it, eat it, and thus appropriate it to yourself. But in any event, Eve knew she should not eat of that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan responded back to Eve and said, You'll not die. You'll not die. Now when God had first spoken to Adam and Eve and said, Don't eat of that fruit because the day that you do, you'll die. Some people say that meant immediate death. But actually the language here in the original writings, which was in Hebrew, we find that it has an interesting kind of way of put together. It can mean one of two things. It can mean one aspect, which means I will cut down the tree in the future. Or it can mean I am in the process of cutting down the tree. In other words, it could have meant to Adam and Eve, the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die in the future. Or 
It could mean the day in which you eat of that fruit, dying, you will die. You will begin to die and ultimately you will die a physical death. And to to that command that Eve responded back to the serpent and his initial temptation to her, doubting that word, Satan said, you'll not die. He just flat out lied about the nature of God. God was not sovereign. In fact, Eve, God lied to you because you won't die in that day that you eat of that fruit. Take a look at it. Now I'm adding a little bit there, but in a sense, that's what Eve did. She began to look at the tree and the fruit of that tree. And here's what we read in the scripture describing this relationship and reaction between the serpent and Eve. And it says in verse number 6 of Genesis chapter 3, and I'll read it here to you, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Now as part of the serpent's temptation to Eve, he said, not only you'll not die, but he also said, God has been withholding good from you. Because he knows that the day that you eat of that tree, the fruit of that tree, you'll become wise. You'll become just like God. Think of it, Eve. You'll become a God, just like him. Don't you want that fruit? So Eve looked at it. It looked very appealing to her eyes. And she thought about eating it, and it looked like it would be a really good-tasting fruit. And after all, it would make her wise. It would make her like God, the serpent said. We find an interesting pattern here. We find that this temptation that the serpent brought to Eve, we find a cup falling a pattern. We find the temptation to Eve was a lust of the eyes that looked good to her. It was a lust of the flesh. It looked like something that would satisfy her fleshly desires for food satisfaction. It also was something that appealed to her pride. Just think, if I eat of this fruit, I'll be like God. I'll be wise, just like him. The serpent tempted Eve, and we find... Eve succumbed to the temptation. It looked good, would make her wise, appeal to her pride, would satisfy her human desires for good-tasting food. It was pretty attractive, and she yielded to the temptation. Now this serpent, we must understand who this serpent really was. It wasn't just a beast of the field. Oh no, it was a beast of the field. But the beast was inhabited by a person's spirit. And we understand from Scripture, Scripture interprets Scripture. So we understand when we come to the book of Revelation, chapter 12, we find a description of who this serpent really was. It was none other than the devil himself inhabiting that beast called a serpent. And it was the devil himself who spoke through that beast and tempted Eve to sin against God, to disobey his command and to eat of the forbidden fruit. 
The scriptures there in Revelation 12 call him that old serpent, the devil, the one who is the deceiver of all of the world. So we know that this serpent that tempted Eve in the garden in Eden was none other than the devil and the Satan himself. So we find that Eve yielded to that temptation and she sinned against God by disobeying his command. And she took of the fruit herself and then she gave to her husband Adam who was there with her and he also ate of that fruit. Now God had said, the day in which you eat of that fruit, dying you will die. And we begin to see as Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, we see changes already starting in their natures and in their lives. For we read this in scripture, we said, after they did eat, it says in verse number 7 of Genesis 3, and the eyes of them both were open, and they saw they were naked. Now they'd been naked for a long time, however long it was between their initial creation and this event in the Garden of Eden. It didn't have any shame to them. They were perfect. They didn't have any uh, sinful, lustful thoughts towards each other. They lived in perfection and in obedience to God. But now that they had eaten of the fruit of the forbidden tree, we see immediately a change in their nature and in their attitudes towards each other. They'd lived in harmony up to this point, and now all of a sudden, because of eating that fruit, they now look at each other differently. They said, oh my, we're naked. We need to cover ourselves up. This isn't right. Something doesn't seem good here. And so they went into the garden and they took leaves from the from the shrubs and the trees about them and they wove for themselves coverings to cover their bodies so they wouldn't look at each other with shame. And then we find that God came to seek them. It tells us that God came looking for them in the garden in Eden. And it says the Lord called out and says, Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam and Eve hid. Why did they hide? They'd never hidden from him previously. They had always fellowshiped with God. And when God came to them in the midst of the garden and he called out to them, they immediately would meet with him and fellowship with him. And now all of a sudden we see when God called out to them, Adam, Adam, they went and hid. Now why did they do that? The effects of sin, the consequences of disobedience, the entrance now of sin into their lives. They didn't want to fellowship with God anymore. They didn't want to meet with him. They hid from him. They ran away from him. Oh, but God persisted. That tells us something about God. God persisted. And he sought them out and he found them. And he said, Adam, I've been calling to you. Where have you been? (laughs) Oh, he knows all things, doesn't he? God knew right where they were. And he went to them and he spoke to them. And Adam responded, I heard your voice calling, but I was afraid, and I hid myself. And God said, why were you afraid? You've never been afraid before this time. How come all of a sudden you're afraid? Did you eat of the forbidden fruit? (laughs) So Adam and Eve then confessed to him. First Adam said, yeah, the woman you gave me, you know, immediately blamed his wife for his sin. The woman that you gave to me, she gave it. She gave me that fruit and I ate of it. And then God turned to Eve and said, Eve, what did you do? Well, that serpent, that beast that you created, he tempted me and I ate of the fruit. 
So we find a significant change in the character and nature of Adam and Eve. Shame towards each other, guilt, fear of God, no longer wanting to seek after him and to fellowship with him, hiding from him, blaming each other for their own individual sins. A significant, radical change in the nature of Adam and Eve. And then we find God taking out his judgment against the serpent. And we read God's judgment against the serpent, and we read it in this way in verse number 14 of Genesis chapter 3. God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all of the beasts of the field. Upon your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all of the days of your life. He humiliated him. He cast him down on the ground. He was going to writhe and writhe and crawl on the ground. And that serpent was cursed from that day forward. But that wasn't the only part of the curse. Because God then took up a curse against the spirit person that inhabited that beast. The devil himself. Satan. That old, wily, devilish serpent. The deceiver of all the world. He's described as. And here's what he said to that serpent, beast, Satan, devil, spirit. He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Her seed will crush you, crush your head, defeat you, destroy you. Oh, you'll bruise his heel, but that's all. He will destroy you and crush you. Here is the first example of God mentioning to Adam and Eve the provision of a serpent crusher, as my friend John Ginny calls him. A serpent crusher, a champion, someone, a human, a man, born of a woman, who would come and crush this vile, devilish spirit person. We'll stop there as far as reading the passage. It goes on to describe then the punishment and judgment against Adam and Eve. But we won't take time to look at that today. Because I want us to see how sin entered into our created world. And how you and I can then experience victory over the evils and the temptations that we face on an everyday basis. For God instructed Moses to write this passage and to provide it for the children of Israel during the time period that they went from Egypt through the wilderness towards the promised land. And God wanted them to know some things about themselves, first of all, a knowledge about them as individuals, as humanity, as humans, an understanding that they had sinful natures. After all, they were progeny and offspring of Adam and Eve, And Adam and Eve produced themselves, not only from a human standpoint, but also from the standpoint of possessing a sinful nature that came upon them when they disobeyed God's command. And God wanted the children of Israel to understand all of this backstory prior to their going into the promised land so that they would understand about themselves, that they would understand about God and know who he was but they would understand about themselves why they possessed a sinful nature, 
why they resisted God, why they disobeyed, why they doubted him, and why they would sin against him over and over again throughout their travels in the wilderness towards the promised land. God also wanted them to know that he had made provision for them, that there was coming one day a serpent crusher, a champion, someone who would defeat and destroy this vile devil. And he wanted them to know some things about his nature, God himself, that he was a kind God. He was not a liar like the Satan, like Satan portrayed him. He was good. He was gracious, merciful, kind, loving. One who would provide for them even though they had sinned against him. And so God urged and prompted Moses by the Holy Spirit to write this record as a warning, as an instruction, as a promise to the children of Israel as they traversed through the wilderness towards the promised land. Now you and I could think and say, hmm, what correlation does that have to you and me? I'm not wandering from Egypt to the promised land. What correlation does that have to you and me? Well, I think it has significant impact and application to you and me. Application in this fashion helps you and I understand who we really are. We are sinful creatures. We have a natural bent towards sin and evil. That's our nature. That's how we're born as humans. We come out of the womb speaking lies, the scriptures say. We are rebels from the beginning. We are not interested in God. We do not want to follow him. We have no interest in seeking after God. And whenever we hear any kind of a religious message, we have kind of a built-in resistance to it. It's because of our sinful nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve because of their sin in the garden in Eden. It also helps us understand God. God's got a lot of bad rep against him, as the saying would go in our day. A lot of lies have come out castigating God and his nature, how nasty and mean and vile and despicable he is. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He wants bad for you, and if you just would follow the inclinations of your own flesh and your desires of your own heart, you'd be much happier. You'd be wiser. You'd even be like God. You don't need God. Those are all lies and deceits that began in the Garden in Eden but the temptation of Adam and Eve through the serpent. That's not true about God. In fact, when God cursed the serpent and promised the champion, it tells us God's love even for sinners, even for those who sinned against him and disobeyed him. He promised to them a champion. Someone who would come and defeat that devil who had tempted them into sin. So that we find that God, in fact, is a gracious, kind, loving God. And as we look at this narrative provided for us in the early chapters of the Bible, we find application for our lives today. For we live in the era 
when God has provided that champion, when he has provided that serpent crusher, that one born of a woman who would come and who would uh, defeat the devil and overcome him. We now have that time in our lives when God has provided that. And he has provided for us no and no other person than the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, who came born of a woman. We read about that in the book of Luke, understand his birth, and we celebrate it at Christmas time on our calendar in America. But this champion, born of the woman, came, and during his lifetime, at every occasion, when tempted by the devil, he defeated him and overcame him and destroyed him. And we read in scriptures that it says, he overcame the strong man, defeated him, bound him. And on the cross in his death, that was an unjust death for Christ, the sinless, spotless one, when he died on the cross, he defeated all of the works of the devil and overcame him and destroyed sin and evil on behalf of sinners like you and like me. And Jesus told us that if we would trust in him and call upon him, that we would find new life in Christ. And we would find our lives actually indwelt by a serpent, not by a serpent, by a spirit person. That spirit person being none other than God himself. And the Lord Jesus Christ present in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And we find that this application comes to you and me. And so today I would ask you, therefore, therefore, how does this apply to you and to your life? Well, you are one of two kinds of persons. Either you are a person who has come to faith and trust in Christ, and you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you seek to obey him and to follow him, yet you have constant battles and dilemmas in your life whereby you feel tempted and drawn aside into sin, and you don't want to walk down that path. And more often than we like to admit, we find ourselves yielding to those temptations. And so I would remind you of how you can experience victory over those battles against evil. It comes from within, not by your own strength, not by only the will and determination of your mind, but it comes through your reliance upon God himself residing and living within you. He will enable you to walk in victory over those sinful temptations. And we find that that is part of the victory that God promised back in the Garden in Eden and that we can now experience in our era, in our lives. We can walk, you as a child of God, can walk in victory over the evil one. Now it's possible that you are one of the other kinds of people. There's only two kinds, those who trust in Christ and those who don't. And it's possible that as you have watched this video, it has come abundantly clear to you that you do not trust in the Lord Jesus. You've responded pretty much like Adam and Eve did. You've hid from God. You haven't had any interest in God whatsoever. But today is different. Today is something that has kind of surprised you. You've been captivated by this message. 
And I would say to you that because of the truths that we see initially presented in Genesis chapter 3, and God's curse and condemnation upon sin and upon the devil himself, that you can experience victory. You can come to faith in Christ. And you can find victory through him and victory over the evil temptations that come upon you in your daily life. I call upon the Holy Spirit to come to you right now, to give to you new life, a new birth from above, that he would come to you and that he would give to you faith to believe and trust upon Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that you would find through the Holy Spirit's divine enabling enabling power within your heart and life, the ability to trust in Christ. God's provision, God's serpent crusher, God's champion that he provided to overcome and defeat evil, which he did in his lifetime and which he did upon the cross and in his resurrection on behalf of sinners like you and like me. And I pray that the Spirit of God will come to you today and bring to you this new life so that from this day forward you can begin to walk in faith and trust and confidence upon God, and upon the Lord Jesus, his provision for you, and that you can begin to experience victory over your battles with evil. I pray that he will come to you now and give to you this new life in Christ. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Emmaus Road Chronicles. If you would like to communicate with me by email, my email address is very simple, easy to remember. It's hill underscore tom at att.net. If you'd like to visit my website where I have Bible study materials available free to anyone who would like to use them, my web address is masterministries.org. Thank you for joining us today. I will see you next time on another edition of Emmaus Road Chronicles. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you.